The name of Jesus is incredible, it's amazing, and if you're new to the church at Nolensville, that's what we're all about, is presenting to you, our neighbors and the nations, the name of Jesus. And we're so glad that you're here. If you're new, if you're a guest, my name is Wade Owens. I'm the campus and teaching pastor. We hope you feel at welcome and at home. Hope you enjoy that. Uh, those that you're sitting around. Take a moment, look at your neighbor and say, hey, you look good. Now look at your second choice neighbor and say, you're second best. You are my second choice today. (laughs) Oh man, listen, we love to have fun here at the church at Nolensville. We're in a series right now called True North. We're looking at hard-hitting, sensitive issues where culture seems to have lost its way Not a lot of conversations happening around the topics that we've been talking about. We began by talking about, hey, who is Jesus and why is he true north for us? We've talked about racial reconciliation. We've talked about politics. We're going to talk about technology. Last week, we talked about gender identity and the struggle that people face with gender dysphoria. And today, we're going to talk about sexuality. And we realize that these are sensitive issues, but honestly, I am delighted delighted to be a part of a church that wants to constantly address a changing and confusing culture with the never changing word of God. And as we talk about sexuality today, I know that there are kids in the room. So you you need to know, hey, this isn't the talk. That's not what this is. I plan to take great care with my words today, precision. I'm not going to talk any different today than I do at home with my own kids. And We've emailed the parents of all of our families that have grade school children, K through 12, additional resources on, hey, how to talk to your children when you feel it's time and ready at a deeper level about these issues. But I said this last week, I'll repeat it. Hey, you as parents, man, you're the pastors of your kids and we just want to help and come alongside of you. But I promise you, parents, if, if you are not, if we are not actively engaging and talking to our kids about these issues, someone is. And the safest and best place to have these conversations is at the home and in the church. Hey, like it or not, we live in an overly sexualized culture. Kids and adults are exposed to every imaginable expression of sexuality today. And the question is, well, how do we respond? How do we talk about this when it seems confusing or disorienting? What is true north for us? Well, that's what we've been talking about. Jesus Christ and his word. Our lives are calibrated to who he is and what he has said in his word. That's true north for us. And so we're going to look at what God says about sexuality today in the book of Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. And I invite you to stand out of honor of reading God's word. I invite you every week, bring a Bible, bring, maybe it's on your phone or an electronic device, but bring God's word. I want you to see that these aren't my words. I'm not making this up. This is God himself. So bring a Bible, bring something to write on, bring something to write with. And so we'll look at the book of Genesis today, chapter two, verses 18 through 24. The Bible says this, then the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. And the Lord formed out of the, out of the ground, every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each of them to the man to see what he would call it. 
And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. And God took one of the ribs and, caused the, and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib... He had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And this one will be called woman for she was taken from man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. And the man said, this one at last, verse 23, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for she was taken from man. God, you created us with a desire for relationship and intimacy with other created beings. And you have given us a good gift and we want to honor you and we want to live inside your boundaries and live according to your purposes. So help us today as we talk through the issue of sexuality that we would see it through your word and in your light And that you would be the compass for our church and for our lives in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Amen. So we are beginning by looking at God's good and perfect design. And Genesis chapter 2 is perhaps the, the clearest, really most unambiguous passage that tells us what God intends concerning human sexuality. So let's just back up for a minute and let's just walk through these verses. Look back at verse 18 and see what God says in Genesis 2. Verse 18, then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. And all the men said, because we are needy. Hello. It is not good that we are alone. Bible says, I will make a helper corresponding to him. It's not good for man to be alone. Adam, listen, had a need for relationship and for intimacy with another created being. God wired that inside of Adam and he wired that inside of us. We are created for relational intimacy. It's hardwired inside of us. That's why at birth, those desires are inside of you. That's why when you're born, you want to be cuddled. You want to be held. You want to be around others. And then as you grow, so do those desires. Those desires are God-given inside of you. That's why we're throughout every generation. We got some great love songs. Amen? Now, I was born in the 70s. Grew up in the 80s and the 90s, and so no disrespect to any other generation, but the 90s got the best love songs. The 90s R&B, Brian McKnight, hello. Y'all, y'all remember the song, Back at One? I'm, I'm going to start it, y'all finish it. One, you're like a... Two... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good music right there. Good love songs. We, we've written poetry. And man, when I grew up in the 90s, man, we not only had good music, but you had to have good game if you were a guy. You had to learn how to talk. There wasn't texting. You couldn't just stalk on Instagram or Facebook. There wasn't any Snapchat. You had to really chat. You know what I mean? See, we were created with this desire for intimacy. But in our desire for intimacy, we've most often gotten the cart before the horse. And so we fast forward the process. We're led by our emotions and Your emotions are never an indicator of what God's trying to do in your life. We're led by our emotions, but we have this God-given desire for relationship and intimacy. And listen, intimacy isn't just physical. Intimacy is fully knowing someone else and then also being fully known. 
And God's going to satisfy Adam's legit desire for relationship and intimacy. Look, look how God does this. Start back in verse 19. You'll see. Then the Lord formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Then the man gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds in the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. Adam, the first man, lived all around in a perfect place, the Garden of Eden. It was incredible, teeming with life, but there was nothing suitable created by God that would meet the relational intimacy he desired. So what happened? Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to come over the man. Not real hard. Football game and a meal. Amen. (laughs) Caused the deep sleep to come over the man and he slept and God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. And then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man Adam had a legitimate need for physical, spiritual, emotional intimacy with another, and God met that need. Adam didn't have to meet this need on his own. God did that. See, we often struggle with this because we want to meet our own needs, and in an effort to meet our own needs, we get outside of God's plan and God's best. I'll just meet my own needs. God says, no, I've got a much better plan for you, and God created the perfect match for Adam, Eve. And he brought this newly created woman before Adam. And Adam, (laughs) you see how he responds. He's beside himself. Adam is in awe. Look at verse 23. Look look at how he responds. And the man said, this one, this one. I mean, don't you think Eve was honored by that? This one, (laughs) this one at last. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And this one shall be called woman. And he probably said it like that. Whoa, man. For she was taken from the man. In Hebrew, the word man is ish. Woman is isha. Man, ish. Woman, isha. Meaning, they're the same. Created the same, yet different. The same meant for one another. Created by God, yet different to correspond with one another, Ish and Isha. And then look, verse 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become, what's the next word? One flesh. God provides the answer and solution for Adam's desire for relationship and intimacy. He created us to long for it, And then he provides his pathway for relationship and intimacy. And so God's standard, his design for physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy with another created being is a lifelong monogamous marriage between one man and one woman. That's God's perfect design. That's what was written down by God himself in the first few pages of scripture and then affirmed later by Jesus in the New Testament in Matthew 19 where he goes back and quotes these very verses. And so physical intimacy, man, it's a gift from God to be enjoyed in the context of lifelong monogamous marriage between one man and one woman. 
you won't find anywhere else in the pages of Scripture, anywhere where God has outlined or authorized any other expression of sexuality other than that. Lifelong monogamous relationship between one man and one woman. And quite honestly, the reason why we're dealing with these issues in a True North series is because the church is quite often silent about these issues, especially sexuality. Hey, we, we don't know how to talk about it. We don't know how to talk about it, so we don't. We've let the world control the narrative, but we shouldn't allow the world to control something that God designed. God did this on purpose, with a purpose, so we should allow God to speak. This is his word. But the church for so long has wondered, how do I deal with this? How do I address it? And for so long, all the church has ever said about physical intimacy, hey, it's sinful, shameful, it's bad, restrain yourself. But then there's no revelation as to why. So restraint without revelation as to why hasn't been helpful. If you walked into this room and there was a big giant button in the middle and all we did was say, hey, don't press the button. All would you want to, what would you want to do all service long? Press that button. Well, let's just don't talk about it. Sweep it under the rug. You know what everybody goes? They go look under the rug. And that's why we're dirty, broken, dusty. Because we, we're looking for answers, but in the wrong places. Physical intimacy is a gift from God that is beautiful and sacred. It's beautiful in God's eyes. According to his plan, in the context of his boundaries, it's a gift. Hey, listen, look right at me. God started that fire inside of us, but he told us where to keep it. But what's happened is we've pulled all the rocks away from the bonfire and then the fire begins to spread and burns things down and we're sitting in charred ruins and we blame the fire. Problem was never the fire, it was where it was supposed to be contained. Fire's a good thing. It, it, it provides warmth, safety, security. When handled properly, fire's great. But fire, when not controlled, leaves devastation. Physical intimacy is a gift from God from the very beginning, but it's been broken and marred by sin. We all have, every aspect and area of our life has been broken and marred by sin from Genesis 3 on. And so when we talk about the issue of sexuality, we often raise up same gender issues, transgender issues, homosexuality issues, and we raise those up. Hey, those are the unpardonable sins as it relates to sexuality. Well, the Bible would say, hey, any attempt to try to satisfy a God-given desire is outside of the will of God. Whether that's premarital, extramarital, same gender, doesn't matter. God gave us his design and plan for sexuality. And we need to know what God's best is and run after God's best. But so often we don't know what God's best, so we rush into trying to fulfill our own desires. And we rush into relationships and we go fast forward and we test drive. And man, the chemistry is amazing. It's great. I've never felt this way. This is amazing. But you know what? I never really stopped to realize, hey, what is this person all about? Do they follow Jesus? What do they think about? What is their middle name? Where do they come from? Who are their friends? All I know is I've been invited over. And then when the initial excitement wears off, we start seeing the problems. You actually start beginning to talk. And you start to realize, oh man, he is not that smart. That guy can't even spell. I've been following him on Instagram and his grammar is bad. He doesn't even know the difference between your and your. 
Listen, if you're going to say you are, I'm going to need an apostrophe there, sir. So we got a problem. Man, I like the way you look and I like the way you made me feel. But now that I know you, I don't like who you are. But I've already rushed in and shared the deepest part of who I am with you. Now that we split up, I don't leave whole because the two have become one. But now we're divided and part of me is with another. It's not how God created it to be. You and I are a body with a soul and a spirit. And the Bible says, hey, follower of Christ, don't be led by your body. Be led by the spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be controlled by the spirit. What are you influenced by? The spirit. Be led by the spirit. The only thing that lives on beyond this place is our soul and our spirit. This body of mine's not going to heaven. I get a new body. Hello, thank God. That's why I don't work out on this one. Let God deal with that. But the problem is, and we got a lot of new believers here, we think, man, when I come to Christ, everything's going to change. And listen to me, everything has changed. You went from death to life, child of God, but my body still runs one way. When you get saved, all of your old desires aren't just poof, gone. They're still there. But that's that's now the opportunity for us to be controlled by the spirit. And the spirit comes in and whispers, hey, no, 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 come this way. Hey, no, God actually created you. He knows what's best. Hey, follow me. I'll set you free. And the good news is that Jesus, man, he's a friend of sinners. And he's a savior to all. And he welcomes us with grace and truth, compassion and conviction Love and hope, and he invites us in, regardless of our story, our past, our brokenness, our mistakes, whatever. He says, hey, come and discover new life with me. And so God gave us a beautiful and perfect gift and design. It's been broken and marred by sin, but Jesus is a restorer, a rebuilder, and he gives new life. And you can not only just be saved, but you can also be set free. And a lot of people are saved, but they don't have the freedom that Jesus wants them to walk in. And I want to show you a passage of scripture that Jesus also inspired in the book of Ephesians that tells you, hey, this is a way you can walk in freedom. You've been restored by Jesus, but walk in freedom. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want to, but it's in Ephesians 5. Paul tells us in verses 1 through 5, hey, live separately, live differently. Don't, don't join yourself into sexual immorality. Flee those things. Live as people of the light. Live as a new creation. Live as people set apart. That's what he talks about in verses 1 through 6. And then look at what Paul says in verse 7. Paul says this. Therefore, do not become... He's talking about the world and those who are chasing those things. Therefore, do not become their what? What's the word? Partners. Don't be co-partakers because your children of the light live in a different way. And Paul is going to show you why that we should live this way. And this is Jesus's words given to Paul. So God himself is telling you, hey, here's why. For so often we're told, hey, just avoid these things. Don't do these things. But we're not told why. Paul's about to tell you why. 
why you should actually walk in a different way. He's not just going to say, don't do this. He's going to say, hey, here's why you should run not only from sin, but sexual sin. Here's why you should do this. Look at verse 8. This is spectacular. Look at verse 8. Paul says this, for you were once, what's the word? Darkness. But now you are what? Light in the Lord, live as children of light. He says, at one time you were darkness. He he doesn't say that at one time you were in darkness. No, he says at one time, that's who you were. You were darkness, but hey, now you are light. So believer, don't go there. You are now light. At one time you were darkness. Darkness wasn't something we were in. It's something we were. But now God says, hey, you're light. You have a new identity. You have a new name. You have a new status. You are now light. Now you have a change in identity. Something has changed inside of you. You are now light. And light isn't just the actions that you take. It's your identity. This is who you are. Child of God, citizen of heaven. So churches, people ask us, hey, why do you live differently? Why do you keep yourself pure? Why do you not look at that stuff on the internet? Why do you guard your eyes, women in the workplace? Why are you not flirtatious? The most biblical answer that you can give is, hey, it's not who I am anymore. I have a new identity. I have been made new. It's not who I am anymore. I have a new identity. I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. And as new creations, the question that we shouldn't ask is, well, how far over here back to darkness can I get? I get that question a lot. Where's the line? What always bothers me is what they're saying is, as light, how close to darkness can I get and still be light? Let me ask you a question and maybe think about it differently. Hey, if you are light and God created you and he knows you, are you really going to find fullness of joy and happiness and peace and satisfaction by inching towards darkness? It's counterintuitive. As children of light, we don't find our joy inching towards darkness. We find our joy in our creator. And what happens is people who live in habitual unrepentant, unconfessed sin, like you're the most miserable person on the planet if you're a believer in Jesus Christ because God created you to enjoy him so you're not gonna enjoy sin anymore. And so you're in this weird place. I don't enjoy that anymore, but I can't enjoy God because I'm stuck over here. And listen, look right at me. The measure of a true believer isn't perfection. It's not that we are free from all sin. The measure of a true believer is that we're engaged in a battle. We're engaged in a fight. We're engaged in a struggle. We're wrestling more to you, Jesus, less of me. More to your ways, less of my ways. There's an inclination and a compulsion. I want what's best. Even when I come back over here, Paul said, hey, I don't always do what I want to do. And I don't always do what I'm supposed to do. But man, I beat my body back into submission. Because I want what God wants and what God wants is best. And we've been given a gift and it's perfect. It's been broken, but Jesus restored it. And listen, there is hope for us. There is hope for the next generation that we're raising. 
And regardless of your background or your past, every sin that you've ever committed was a future sin when Jesus died on the cross. So there's hope for anybody and everybody. There's hope for people who are confused about their sexuality. There's hope for people who are impure, been adulterous, or struggling with same gender attraction. There's hope. Because we, we know the one who gave us hope. He left heaven. He came to earth. He was crucified, buried, but rose again to give us life. And so we fight. And we fight to find healing this side of heaven. And we fight until our behavior catches up with our identity. And we can't always choose what our temptation is, but we can always choose how we respond. And so let me give you four things as we begin to wrap up. Four things I think that will help you in this journey, not only in your life, but as you're handing down the faith to the next generation. Number one, surrender your life to Jesus. <laughs> if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can't get there on your own. The only thing that you need is Jesus. And then he shapes you and molds you and it's a journey and it's a lifetime of sweet joy of learning what it means to follow our king as he removes parts of us and gives us more of his best. Only through Christ can you be set free. And then if you are saved, you don't have to get saved again, but there's a lifelong process of surrendering your life. I've been walking with Jesus now for 22, 23 years. And the more I know about Jesus, the more I realize I'm so far away from his best. And so every week, every year, every day, I'm like, no, I need to surrender more of me, Jesus, more of me, Jesus. So we surrender for the first time, God, I want to be your son or daughter. But then it's a lifetime of laying my life down at his feet. Man, I messed up, Jesus. Thank you that you have a never stopping, never ending, always and forever love for me. No to me, yes to you. I'm surrendering my life. I want to be led by Jesus. Surrender. Number two, you got to release and you got to remove. You got to let go of some of that baggage. You got to let go of some of those sins. You got to let go of some of that past. If you're in Christ, no one, no one that matters holds your sin against you anymore. Don't let the enemy, don't let your past, don't let your past pull up a chair at your table like an unwanted guest. The greatest sin you feel like you ever committed isn't even in God's memory anymore if you're in Christ. Release, remove, remove that old way of thinking. And as you're doing that, two tips, man, for those of you, whether you're single, married, or a kid, you need to commit to being both physically and mentally monogamous. If you're married, I've got one spouse and I've got eyes for them. If I'm single, I've got one passion in my life, and it's Jesus until God gives me a spouse. And those of you who are married, control your thoughts. Those of you that say window shopping isn't dangerous, if you window shop long enough, you'll make a purchase. Devastate what God has given to you. Don't do that. You you, got to let go of the world's wisdom that says pornography isn't harmful, because it is. There isn't one study done by biblical and non-biblical scholars or clinicians that says it doesn't damage your life, that actually rewires the pleasure centers of your brain so that you actually can't commit to true and authentic intimacy with people in front of you, whether you're male or female. You need to find a way to get free, to get help from that because it will creep into your life. It will creep into your marriage. It will affect your kids. So get open to about it with somebody. Find help, get accountability, get in a group, do something 
but remove those things that are harmful from your life. And then three, rejoice. Rejoice. Listen, the tomb is empty. Jesus put death to death. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. The Bible says that he fights for me. He sings over me. He delights for me. We don't battle for victory, church. We battle from victory. It's already been achieved. Rejoice. If you're in Christ, he loves you. He delights in you. Regardless of what happened in the last 24 hours of your life, regardless if you're in Christ, you're never more loved than you are in this moment right now because of the cross and empty tomb. Rejoice. Get up. Run after your king. Walk in freedom that he's already given. Number four, repeat that whole process a lot. (laughs) I've been walking with Jesus for 22 years and I've been walking this way and it fell flat down in the mud. And then what the enemy tells me is he said, just stay there, you've already ruined it. Why get up now? You know why I get up now? Because my Jesus got up out of a grave. I get up now because my God's sitting next to his king making daily intercession for me. I get up because I'm a child of God. I get up because I have a purpose and I was created on purpose. And even though my sins may be many, and even though I'm prone to wonder, my God is not. And he runs after me and he chases me. And I'll fight my whole life if I have to. And I'll wrestle with things so that my kids don't have to. But I'm not going to stay down if I'm down. I'm getting up. Church, God has given us a good gift. Good gift. It's been broken, it's been marred by sin. But anything and everything has been restored by Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, I want to pray for the person in the room that's not a follower of Jesus. Today, would you invite them to yourself? By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you reveal to them their need for you? And Would you call them to yourself? God, I pray in this moment that they would respond by saying yes to Jesus as their Savior. No to sin that binds them, but yes to you as the one who forgives and gives freedom. And if that's you, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, you can pray something simple. There's no magic in the prayer, but it's you talking to God and saying, dear God, I I am indeed a sinner and I do indeed need a Savior. And today I want to give my life to you. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. Do that today. That's one of the reasons why we exist is to see people find new life in Jesus. Do that. And then tell someone today. Write it on a communication card in the worship guide. Put it in. Turn it in. Come to Next Steps. Tell a friend. Come up and tell a pastor. Don't leave here today without celebrating the greatest thing that's ever happened in your life. Lord, I want to pray for our church. I want to pray that we would be we would be living expressions of the light that we are. Bring conviction, bring repentance, bring clarity, bring hope, bring freedom. 
of us as older men and women live in such a way that would inspire the next generation to Jesus' best for them. And that the work we do today isn't just about today or tomorrow, but that we're leaving legacies for the next generation that will walk with their king as light in our neighborhoods and to the nations. Thank you, Jesus, for what you do, who you are. It's in his name we pray. Amen.